Well, good morning, beloved First Family. It is a joy to be with you today. Happy Thanksgiving. That video is more than just a video that we show. It's an invitation. It's come to my attention there are some of us that are exactly where my friend Eddie is, by himself, by yourself. If that's you today, I want you to know that's not good enough. If you are alone or if you are just with a couple of others and you feel alone, then I want you to know that an invitation stands to join me and my family at our home. Now, some wise people in the earlier service came to me between services and said, hey, Darren, that's crazy. What if weirdos show up? Probably. At least the one who lives there will be there. If that's you, then I want you to know you are welcome. We don't take it lightly that we call ourselves the first family. And it's at times like this that we are reminded of it. If that's you and you are interested, then all I ask is that you tell me after the service. If you're not comfortable with that, then send me an email. You can find my email address on our church website. We welcome you. It is a joy to be together as a family whenever the Lord might give us opportunity to do so. Let us move now to the purpose for which we came. Have you ever had a gift in your pocket or in your possession that was absolutely burning a hole in your pocket? that you could not wait to give this gift and that you knew the person who this was intended for would receive it with such joy and such passion and such love and gratitude. Have you ever had a gift like that to give? Well, if you have, then you know how I felt throughout this year. Go back with me to last fall. Last fall when we were planning this series, I knew what lay ahead for us. Last fall when we set the schedule and we started working toward what we would make this year look like with a long review of Revelation, I knew that for many of us, we would grow weary. For Revelation 8 to 18 is a difficult section of Scripture. Not only that, there are questions we can't answer, and the darkness seems pervading and overwhelming. Will we ever get to the light? When we get to Revelation 19, the light comes on. I want you to see the first couple of words of Revelation 19.1. After this. If you're one who underlines, then underline that. The language that is used there is to draw a stark, dark line between chapters 18 and 19. Everything that precedes this is followed by everything that follows it, but they are not the same. Herein lies the celebration of heaven. My friend Fred, our missions chairman, he is the one who read it for us a moment ago, and I'm grateful that he did, for it is a reminder it's not how you start, it is how you finish. The end of the matter is the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper will be a moment of glorious praise. As we begin, let's pray together for God's glorious presence to be in this place with us now. Lord Jesus, thank you that from eternity past, you had this in your heart. From the beginning, you wanted us. You were so desperate to have a relationship with us that you were willing to pay any price to wait as long as it took to draw as many as possible 
to yourself, including us. So Lord Jesus, today as we dive off into Revelation 19 and we celebrate and help us, Lord, to be reminded that this isn't some story, it's our future. May we live in the joy that it brings. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A marriage supper. It's something that is planned, that is specific, that is loving, and it is something that elicits a powerful and beautiful response. When we read these first six verses of Revelation 19, we find this marriage supper getting started. And how does it begin? With a song. Several, in fact. I want you to see, it's not just a small group like we had on the stage a moment ago who's singing. There's a great multitude. And they all, with one voice, are lifting a song of hallelujah. Hallelujah. A powerful and rich word uttered by many. The Greek is a great crowd of all of y'all. That's the good John Greek that is used there as they raise their voices together. Who is in this multitude? It's the angels. It's the saints. It's those who have gone before and those who have been lifted from earth who now stand together around the throne of Jesus celebrating the goodness that God has poured out. It is reflected there at the end of verse 1. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. This is a song of glorious praise. Let's just talk about this word hallelujah for a moment, shall we? It is a celebratory word, and it is rooted in two Hebrew words, halle and Yahweh. You put the two together, and the word literally means praise God. It is a song all by itself. This utterance, then, is one that we would do well to emulate, that we would do well to say as well. So let's just join the angels in practicing for heaven, all right? I'm going to say hallelujah. You say it back to me. Are you ready? Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you, friends, now we're ready. We're ready for what the angels saw or what the angels experienced, you just joined in the choir that we saw in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 and Revelation 8 and Revelation 14. We gather with them to proclaim God's goodness, to proclaim his glorious praise. Not only that, it is a song of joyous victory. I want you to see verse 3. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. No more do I need worry about Babylon. She has been defeated. The ashes are still smoldering, proclaiming how grievously she has been destroyed. Friends, when the final victory comes, it will be a victory worth celebrating. Now, you know, all of us are good winners. Just ask us. Let us win a game and test us, and we'll show you how good we are at winning. This is one where winning, where winning is the last victory. 
because Babylon has been destroyed. And not only is it a song of glorious praise and victory, but it's a song of passionate worship. I want you to see it there in verse 20 and verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. We've seen these living creatures before. We've seen the 24 elders before. They fall down before the throne of God, declaring their allegiance and their fealty to God. They proclaim it with everything in their being that this one word is absolutely the final word. Victory has been given to God. It is rightfully his. And so we worship him because of it. Which brings us to the last part of the song, verses 5 and 6. Hallelujah, a song of God's rightful reign. Notice that phrase, a great multitude, the roar of many waters, the sound like thunder that proclaims God's rightful place. The Lord omnipotent has begun to reign. Now that doesn't mean he wasn't reigning before, but rather in history past, for really, from the time of the Garden of Eden when man fell until this time right here in Revelation 19, God has allowed Satan some measure of control over earth, over humanity, the power to tempt, the power to deceive, the power to steal. Now, however, It's a new day. And that power is removed because God in his rightful reign has risen to his rightful place. So he's always been there. Now he's just executing it in a new way. You ever been to a big waterfall? I mean a big one. Not just a waterfall. I know we don't have any close to Midland, but maybe you've traveled some and you've seen them. Julie and I went a few years ago to Niagara Falls, and, you know, I knew what to expect. We were coming from the Canadian side. I'd seen it a million times on TV. I thought I knew what to expect. What I didn't expect, what I didn't appreciate was how far away from the falls I could be where I couldn't even see it, but I could still hear it, and I could feel it under my feet. The vibrations of the water striking the ground, the roar that brought us. And the closer I got, the more humbled and the smaller I felt. Can I tell you today, friends, this is what a worship service will look like in heaven. You might say, but Darren, that that sounds loud. I don't like loud music. Then you're going to hate heaven. Because I want you to see it for what it is. It is a celebration, but not a celebration of what we've won, rather a celebration of the fact that God has won and has brought us with him. Music is a powerful force, isn't it? That song that our, our, our group just sang, it's called Hymn of Heaven. It's performed by a man named Phil Wickham. Let me encourage you, go home and pull that up on YouTube. Download it. Find it on Spotify. Let it be something that resonates with you. It's one of the best new hymns that I've encountered. It proclaims God's rightful place and our role in it. Why, Darren, do we even have a role? If it is God's victory, 
then why are we there? Why does he need us? Let's be clear, friends. He doesn't need us. But he wants us anyway. He wants us. Make a note to go back and read Ephesians chapter 1 today. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. In those 11 verses, the apostle Paul tells us who we are. Not who we think we are, not who we might believe ourselves to be, but rather who God says we are. And one of the things that it says in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 is that we were chosen. We were chosen before the foundations of the world. And for what purpose were we chosen? To be the bride of Christ. And that brings us to the Lamb and his bride who were at the very center of the marriage supper. See it there in verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Herein is a relationship built from eternity past. A song of praise that continues as the Lamb takes center stage along with his bride. Friends, we, the church, we are the bride of Christ. He wanted us as his own. Our preparation has taken an eternity, an eternity back to the foundations of the world. But this is why he came, to make us his own. Not only that, we're granted the privilege of dressing in fine linen, a symbol of purity, a symbol of peace. It is a symbolic thing contrasted to the harlot that we saw in chapters 16 to 18. She's dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels, but the bride here is dressed even more powerfully in the purity reserved for the one that she has saved herself for. Now, we've all been to weddings, and we know what they look like. But pause with me for a moment and go back to the first century and understand that Jewish weddings are a different thing altogether. Jewish weddings didn't start the day of the ceremony or even the night before like we do with a rehearsal dinner. No, quite the opposite. Jewish weddings start sometimes years in advance when the bride's parents and the groom's parents get together and arrange their marriage. It didn't always happen that way, or it didn't always happen that way, but it often did. And so this betrothal period where they were connected, no matter how far apart they might have lived, they were connected, was indefinite. And what would bring it to a culmination? When would that period come to an end? Ah, oh, this is the good part. You're going to like this when the groom came to the bride's house to claim his bride. He'd come to the bride's house and pick her up, arranged, and then lead the reception back to a celebration, a celebration where the marriage supper will be a blessed and glorious event, where they all sit down together 
See it in verses 9 and 10. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is a command that is easy for John to keep. Some of the wings that were in earlier passages were hard, but this one in verse 9 is easy. The angel says, write this, and John is eager to. Here for the fourth of seven times, John writes, blessed are. It's a beatitude, just like Jesus uttered in Matthew chapter 5. We don't know who these guests are, but we know this. Worship will be their theme for all eternity, and it starts there at the marriage supper. You know, I've thought long and hard Having a whole year to think about it, we'll do that. But I had to talk to you about this marriage supper and what it'll be like. So go with me on this little journey, won't you? Let's just use some illustrations here. Maybe this will help make it clear. Maybe you won't like this method I'm going to use, and it's okay. Just don't tell me. Uh, because I'm pretty happy about it. I'm pretty crazy about it. Uh, because this, for me, and planning this has really meant a lot. You know, marriage suppers start <clears throat> in the heart of the groom for his bride. I've been to lots of weddings, and one of the best parts of my job is doing weddings. Got one scheduled just for a couple of weeks from now. I'm pretty excited about it. And although I have seen some weddings that were different than others, one thing I've never seen is an ugly bride. Now, I will say this with as much kindness as I can. Although I've never seen an ugly bride, I've seen some grooms who could use some work. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll just start with myself. Um, you know, when Julie and I were getting married, it was a rich and beautiful time went down to the tuxedo shop to water my tuxedo and the day came that I was supposed to go pick it up and uh, picked it up and took it back to where we were getting married and, and I discovered then that uh, there was another Darren Wood getting married out of that same shop that same weekend. Guess how tall he was? About four foot four. It was almost comical how short those pants were. I was wearing my best man's bow tie, my, my, one of my groomsmen's shirts. It was, a, it was quite the sight. I, you know, the grooms, many times we could use some work. What is the best part of the wedding, though? It's not the grooms. When it's time for the wedding, nobody's paying attention to him. It's the bride. She's the center of the table. It's the bride. She's the one that the groom's heart was set for. It's the bride. She was the one that he came looking for. It's the bride. It was for him or for her that he came. It's the bride. And you know, you can say a whole lot of things about grooms, but one thing you have to say for sure is they at least had enough sense to choose well. 
And you know, marriage suppers, many times they use things like these. And you know, grooms, they'll go well out of their way, sometimes even using things like they wouldn't normally use. When Julie and I were getting married, she introduced me to, we were at our registry at the store, and being the redneck that I am, I didn't know these things existed. These are called chargers. Maybe you are familiar with them too. And uh, she said, we need some chargers, Darren. Well, I thought a charger was a, a, a vehicle made by Dodge. You know, I, uh, I didn't realize that it was something else. And I said, so let me get this straight. This is a plate that you can't eat off of? What kind of thing is that? No, we're not buying any of those. Well, we'll talk about that later. But um, when we put these out, it's a reminder it's a special meal. It's not just every day. We put these out and it's a reminder that we went through extra pains to make this meal a possibility. And why did we do that? Because the groom's heart is for the bride. He came looking for her. He set his heart and his affection upon her. He wanted her. He did everything he could to make the moment a powerful one. One that is a reminder of his great love for his bride. He sought her, wooed her, and brought her to himself because she was at the core of his affection. This, friends, is what the groom does for the bride. It's a powerful thing. And <clears throat> the bride, well, there's no wedding without her. It's not that the groom is unimportant. It's not that it's insignificant that he exists, but it is certainly powerful that the groom wants the bride. Can I tell you something today, my friends? Jesus is the groom, and we, the church, are his bride. It doesn't matter how ugly you might think the groom is or how much work you think he needs, he is the one the bride wants just as much. You want to get me aggravated, you won't do it by telling me what a knucklehead I am. I'll probably agree with you. God knows I need the help. You want to get me aggravated, start talking about my wife about my bride. Then you'll see a side of me that isn't very pastoral because the groom's heart is for the bride. So if I feel that way about my bride, as sloppy and poor a husband as I am, how much more does Jesus feel that about his, you, the church? 
Now, some of you are looking at this table and you're bothered because there's a third place setting. Who belongs there? Well, the truth is, there is room at the table. See, the, the reality is Jesus is who he is. And the bride of Christ, the church, is who she is. But not everyone is a part of that. But they can be. Simply by accepting the groom's invitation. And then in a supernatural, transcendent, overwhelmingly powerful moment, that one who comes to the table at the invitation of Jesus moves from being just a guest to being the bride herself. I want to ask you, friends, what about you? You see, verse 10, the last thing the angel says to John is simple. Worship God. This is the very core of what we are to do and be. Worship God. Because everything else is lying in a heap, smoldering and smoking. Everything that isn't worship to God is broken. All in favor of this feast. I want to ask you just one question. Do you have your place at the table reserved? Do you have your place at the table reserved? If you don't, I've got really good news. You can today, right here and now. You can come to this table and you can find a place because Jesus, the groom, has been looking for you. <laughs> Some might say, looking for me? <laughs> I don't think so, Darren. After all the things I've done, all the ways I've messed up, all the wickedness in my own life, Jesus would never receive me, certainly not as his bride. Understand this. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus wanted you. Before the foundations of the world, he set his heart and affection on you. Today, if you have never taken up Jesus' invitation, it is your day to do so. In just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And that's your cue. That's your cue to come down and say, Darren, how do I take my place at the table? I've seen the word of warning, and now I'm realizing it was to compel me to the table with Jesus. How do I find my way? It's really not difficult. Simply call on the name of Jesus. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that he is the Son of God and confess that he is your Lord. Jesus, be the Lord and Master of my life. That gets the ball started. He'll change everything else from there, transforming you and preparing you for this day. Today, friends, if that's you, then when we start singing, you don't wait for anybody else. You step out and say, this is for me. Maybe you've already done that, but you've let other things crowd out 
your thinking. You've let things press against you and steal the remembrance of your role as the bride of Christ and the groom's love for you. Today, he invites you back to himself. If you need or want somebody to pray with you, come down and let me do that. You want to just come to these, this altar and pray. These steps are open for you. Maybe, just maybe, you need to be a part of a family walking together. And we invite you right here and now to come down and say, how do I be a part of this family? Today is your day to decide. Pray with me, won't you? grateful hearts, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the love that you've shown to us, and for the fact that you came looking for us. You looked for us far before we could even know that we needed you. I know, Jesus, there are many who feel unlovely, who feel like they are not welcome in your presence or even wanted. But thank you today, Jesus, that's just not true. In your love and your kindness and your mercy, you came looking for us. And so today, Jesus, we respond to you. I pray today, Father, for those who, who are hearing this, whether they're in this building or watching us on television, I pray, Father God, that today they would respond to you and your invitation let this moment, Lord Jesus, not slip past us, believing there will be another time or a better time. No, this day is the one you've given us. And so, Lord Jesus, we choose to use it. I pray, Lord Jesus, your powerful spirit in each of our hearts and minds right now, and that you would draw us to yourself in a whole new way. Would you do your work here now, Lord Jesus, right among us? Thank you, Lord, for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.